Will you will you just say the word moose and squirrel? Moose and squirrel. Oh, my life is complete. My life is complete. <laughs> You've done it for me. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am your host, Todd Conklin. Oh, did that get me in trouble? So first of all, that is a reference if you're – I wonder if you have to be old to understand the reference of the moose and squirrel. But uh, that that is a reference from a cartoon many years ago um, that, in, that starred a, a young man named Bullwinkle uh, who was of the moose persuasion. And uh, they had Natasha and Boris – and they were uh, Cold War era spies, and uh, they were constantly being chased by Rocky and Bullwinkle, Moose and Squirrel, and uh, <laughs> and I love the way they would say the word Moose and Squirrel. And I did this uh, podcast interview. You're gonna love today's podcast. It's a it's you're gonna love it actually. It's it's around the notion of culture. You know how I hammer on you guys all the time that there are whole bodies of knowledge around culture that exist uh, above and beyond sort of safety differently and reliability. There are people who study culture for a living and are really good at it. Well, this podcast is about that. In fact, it's about intercultural competency and capacity, cultural capacity. So you're going to like the podcast a lot. But uh, one of the people on the podcast, uh, uh, Tatiana, a, a dear friend of mine for many years, is uh, from Russia. She lives now in the United States. She lives in Chicago. And I, I asked her to say moose and squirrel. And, of course, it made her crazy. Uh, crazy. Um, I mean, she doesn't hate me because we've been friends for a long time. But it made her crazy that I asked her to do that. And it was uh, it was very funny. So, okay. So let's get started with the podcast before, before I go too far. First of all, thank you. I don't know what happened, but I cannot believe that the Five Principles book is the number one book on Amazon in the risk section, which is a tiny little section. It sounds like I'm bragging. I'm not really bragging because to be number one in risk, you got to sell like 13. And I sold 13. Uh, I bought 10, but somebody else bought three. So that set us up. Um, uh, I'm glad you like it. It, it. it seemed like a book that its time had come and it was probably time to to make that book happen. I mean, that's that's kind of what it it seemed important to sort of bring us back to first principles when you get lost or when you start to drift always remember to return to first principles just remember that i remember when i was working at philmont for the boy scouts and we would do big search and rescues um, my boss at the time would always tell me always go back to the primary quadrant never ever forget the primary quadrant because many times the search and oftentimes it was true you go back to where the search started, and that's where you would actually find the person or find information. It's true academically, and it's true philosophically. First principles are the foundation upon which the ideas and practices that we use to create resilience, reliability, robustness in our systems, that's where they all begin. And they're vital, and they're super important to us. And so we want to be hyper aware of those and, and make sure we understand them. Always go back to your first principles. And that was sort of the purpose of that book was to take us back to first principles. So that's what I did. I am completely happy that you guys like it. I'm really pleased by it. Thank you. I can't thank you enough. And thanks for listening to the podcast as well. If this is your first podcast, 
welcome. You're what a great one to jump in on. If you've been listening a long time, God bless you. You must need a hobby. Um, and that's a direct quote from an email I received. But uh, nonetheless, thanks for listening. I'm really proud of what's going on, and I'm proud of what we've done and where we're going with this. That's that's uh, that's vital and important. So today's podcast is around cultural competency for those of you that work with a global reach, which is a bunch of you. And so one of the things that I, I worry about is that I think we see culture as a negative. And in fact, I would actually suggest it's quite the opposite. Culture is a positive. Um, a culture, culture makes organizations whom they are. And culture is not something that's amorphous. Culture just exists. It's, it's culture is the sum total of the individual values, beliefs, and norms that organizations have, that, that, that countries have, that states have, that companies, that teams have. And culture is not a bad thing. And in fact, culture becomes an enormously important part of creativity and improvisation and problem solving and creating success in a very complex and varied world. We know that because we spend an awful lot of time talking about culture and context. So why not bring in some folks who do this for a living? Why not talk to some folks who are a part of an organization um, that actually really works with companies big and small, with individual contributors and with teams of people to help them become better at understanding cultural competency as a capacity to managing successful organizations. And so here it, is, here it goes. Now, if you're interested in knowing more, and I think you will be at the end of this podcast, I don't think that's going to be a difficult part of it at all. If you're interested in knowing more, then you should know that in March, uh, let me check the dates on that, the, the, kind of the middle of March, there's going to be a Winter Institute of Intercultural Studies held in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it's actually there for you. And it starts like the, the 12th of March and goes all the way through, I guess, the 15th. I, I'm teaching a class on the 15th in culture, safety, and competency um, that uh, it's, I teach a lot with these guys. They also do a summer institute as well. But if you're interested in, in hooking up with this, you can go to intercultural.org backslash programs backslash WIIC, Winter Institute of Intercultural Communication, and check it out. But first, before you do that, why don't you listen to the conversation that I had with some friends around this very topic? So sit back and relax and kind of open your uh, psychological listening holes to the ability for culture to be a capacity in your organization for success. So everybody get everybody comfortable? Yes. Okay. I'm putting my feet up. Yeah, so to sit up straight. <laughs> take the gum out of your mouth. Okay. No, don't rustle candy wrappers. <laughs> I was just getting a sinus, Advil cold and sinus real quick. Okay, so everybody, everybody got it ready. So give me a level. Everybody just say hello one at a time. I, I, Antimo, start with you. Hello. Okay. 
Mary? Hello. Tatiana? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> okay, I can hear everyone. It sounds good. Hey, you guys, thanks for being on this. It's, um, it's a treat to have three noted international experts in intercultural communication to chat with. I don't get to chat with you guys. I haven't seen you guys in years. Are you, are you good? Is everything wonderful? All the better for hearing your voice. Oh, really? That's what made it? <laughs> because you can hang out with me anytime and listen to my voice. You know, it's pretty much I blab on uh, incessantly or so I'm told. That's that's a part of what happens. Well, so so the the podcast really talks to people who deal with with um, highly reliable systems. And so they work a lot with safety and with safety and health and with with all sorts of programs that um, create resilience and robust organizations globally. And one of the interesting reasons and, and one of the opportunities I think we have with you guys on the on the pod today is to talk about a couple things. One is culture. Now I'm going to say something and I'm, I'm and then I'll shut up, I promise, because I want to hear what you guys have to say. But I'm amazed that a lot of the organizational world, the, the, the business world, if, if I may use that term, kind of tries to reinvent intercultural communication from the ground up almost every day. I don't think they realize there's an entire body of knowledge and an entire group of people who have made it their life's avocation to understand and really appreciate the fact that diversity is what, it, it's, it's the gas that makes the engine run in the workplace. And so one of the opportunities I've wanted to do this for years is I wanted to pick on you guys because you're all three involved in a program that's held every summer in Portland called the Summer Institute for Intercultural Communication. And you really work with people of all stripes in helping them better understand and better leverage really the advantage that cultural competency and cultural awareness has organizationally. Why do you guys think intercultural communication matters, especially in organizations, but especially in organizations that have a global reach? Who wants to take that one? I'll jump in. This is Mary. Um, I, I think it matters because of a number of realities of the current world. One is demographics. Um, if we look at mobility, if we look at representation, who are our employees, who are our customers? We can't assume that they're like us. We have to assume because of globalization, because of increasing domestic diversity, that people see the world in different ways because they've been raised differently. They've grown up with different messages from their parents. They've grown up with different expectations of the workplace, um, different expectations of the world. So part of it is demographics and globalization. Um, part of it is technology. So one of the issues, of course, that we look at with technology is that we can be in contact so much more easily with people who are culturally different from us, whether it's in the workplace with global teams, whether it's working with customers in different places. We have that technology. But the reverse side of that technology is that we also have the ability to record and document problems. So part of this um, is the recognition that cross-cultural differences can cause crises. And instead of focusing on crisis management, perhaps we could focus on cultural capacity to prevent some of those crises and 
challenges to our reputation around cultural issues. So Mary, let's pull the string on that because I really like where you went with that. And that is that you really see you really see cultural differences as a capacity, really as an advantage. What's crazy is that the world wants me as a leader in an organization, it, the world wants me to see um, sort of this Western unified approach to managing businesses. And we know that just doesn't exist. Tatiana, what, what's your feeling on, on uh, what Mary said? Um, you know, as soon as you asked your initial question, what came to mind is uh, a conversation I had years ago back in Russia, where I'm originally from, with a friend of mine who was learning how to drive at the time. And he said, you know, driving is the easiest thing there is if it were not for other drivers. <laughs> <laughs> and I think <laughs> there is so much truth in it that if it were not for other people that uh, come into uh, the same moment that we come to in their own way with their own sense of what's right, what's wrong, uh, how they learned to operate in the world, um, there will be, it, it, it will be very boring, but probably much less confusing. Um, in the situation that we live today with the technology that is progressing so quickly, uh, as humans, we are expected to operate more and more in what's kind of called agile way, yeah, quickly, yeah. Uh, flexibly responding to um, immediacy of what's going on, being creative. How can you and I do it together uh, if you, we are stepping on each other's toes all the time and don't have an understanding of what happened between us and how to move on from there? Uh, being interculturally competent is exactly about that, operating among other humans in the way that uh, minimizes uh, wasting of our time and energy on conflicts, misunderstandings, and all sorts of other things, and maximizing our time together when we can build on our different creativities and our different perspectives and the fact that you see the world differently from uh, the way I see it, and between two of us, we see it in many more interesting ways than just either one of us. So that, for me, very much connects with what Mary was saying. It is a, a great capacity, but it only is a capacity when it works. Um, going back to my analogy with driving, my car is sitting dead in the garage right now because of the <laughs> Arctic cold that we just had in Chicago. Uh, the fact that I have it, but it's not driving for me, is uh, very similar to how when we have a variety of people there, but we can't operate that variety of people effectively, we are not getting anywhere. Antimo, you want to add to this? Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, let me take it back to on this driving thing because I love it. Um, I'm Italian, for those who don't know me, uh, and uh, it's funny how this driving should come up because a lot of clients of mine always comment on how crazy the Italians are when driving. And I want to point to the fact that uh, one thing is operating the car. It is possible to say that uh, the operation of a car doesn't really change substantially from one culture to another, from one country to another. However, the how you drive the car does. 
And so sometimes, instead of uh, quickly judging how crazy this culture drives and how crazy the other does and, and so forth, is actually uh, boiling it down to what is the human behind the wheel doing how and what is their level of awareness and uh, uh, all of that that uh, informs more culturally uh, where that com person comes from, what is their frame of reference, where, where are their values, and therefore why are they driving the way they drive. But I also want to go back to one uh, very first thing that you mentioned, Todd, and that was, you know, the um, diversity being a capacity and being an advantage. And I couldn't agree more with you. And I want to comment on the fact that uh, when you look at the war on talent that started several years ago, um, the importance of intercultural communication is uh, exactly hand in hand with the importance of sourcing talent. And when you look at where talent is being sourced these days, it's happening all over the world. And uh, uh, so when you source talent from over the world, with that comes the different makeup of those people. And with the changing uh, of integrating these people into an organization, all of a sudden, the makeup of the workforce changes, and, uh, and so does the organization. And so the question is, how do you deal with that? What do you do to get smart about intercultural competence once you have a diversified workforce? Well, so let me take that one step further because using the car metaphor, which is such a great metaphor, and I loved what you said, Ankimo, that, 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 that substantively cars all drive the same, but the context in how we drive them changes from state to state, from city to city, from town to town, from country to country, from continent to continent. That's beautiful. The challenge is, is that in my world, I assume in my company, because we're big and powerful and, and that's what we do, I'm going to assume kind of an ethnocentric response and believe it's your job to meet my culture, not my job to meet your culture. And that notion of, of, of almost cultural incompetency, that's what I see. That, that kind of cross-communication, I see that all the time. And that strikes me as, as a giant challenge. How do we tackle that? Uh, Todd, this is Tatiana. Um, as a person who moved from one country to another in my lifetime, um, I definitely understand that when I came to America, expecting that America will change itself around me is not very realistic. Uh, it definitely is my job as a newcomer uh, if I came to your house, uh, it is my job to kind of walk uh, all the way there. And it would be much better if you meet me on the threshold and don't expect me to look for you down the basement. Yeah? Yeah. Can you <laughs> meet me somewhere? Mm -hmm. Which would be very different if, uh, let's say, we turn it around and you come to my country, you want to do business in my country, you want to be do business in my state. Uh, it's like who meets whom where. Yeah. Definitely always somebody has to go further than somebody else, yeah. Uh, but uh, it really works when we understand that adjustment is always mutual and that if I'm having a hard time with you, you cannot at the same time be having an easy time with me. 
So the more we work toward having easier time with each other, the faster we get there. Yeah, and, and let me add one thing, because you're saying something extremely important. And like Tatiana, I too have lived in different countries and had to adjust and figure things out. And every single one, whether that was France, England, or Brazil, or the United States, those are the countries that I lived in, every single time for me there was no question than being a white canvas trying to find that midway. It wasn't uh, that way or the other way. It was always a, a meeting in the middle. And for me, two things that were important was I was conscious that I, and I was welcoming a transformation in my life. And I also was conscious that I wanted personal growth. If you start with these two ingredients, then you know you're going to find the midway. But the other contingent too, whether it's an organization, whether it's a team, whether it's your a leader, has to understand that and prepare people to that for meeting in the center and not to have polarities, um, you know, th this way or that way. And uh, individuals and organization, uh, so this is a journey for both the individual and the organization. And uh, how, do we how do they arrive at it may be completely different. Maybe that the individuals arrive first and the organization arrives later. But uh, it's unlikely that they arrive at the same time. But the most important thing in the common thread is that uh, it is essential that they know that they will need to meet in the middle. Can I jump in again? Please do, <laughs> please do. But I, I want to turn this around a little bit because I totally agree with what folks have already said. But I think we also have to look at what is the motivation for the existing people in the organization, the leaders in the organization, to want this to happen. I, I totally agree that it has to be a two-way street. But to be honest with you, organizations have a lot of potential benefits that if they really engage in developing capacity for intercultural interactions and intercultural competence, can, they can benefit from. There's a lot of evidence, both in more experimental settings, but also in organizations, that the more diverse the workforce is, if they're given support and structure and learn to work together, the more productive they're going to be. They're going to come up with better ideas. They're going to come up with better return on investment. Um, so there is really a good motivation for organizations to value this. Well, so Mary, let's, but pull, on that, the other let's pull that string. Let me, let me interrupt to pull that string. So Great. organizations want to create stability. What organizations – so all organizations are running to entropy. So every system is running to failure. We know that. That's a, that's a different podcast. We could have that discussion later. <laughs> so what we want to do is we want to resist entropy and create resilience. We want organizations that have the ability to fail and learn across cultures in all sorts of variabilities. We've all talked about that. I mean, in fact, the metaphor we're using is really good. The, the car driving is probably the most complex activity you'll do because the people make it complex. I mean, that's, that's, that's just what makes it complex. Now, here's what's interesting. It's how can we shape a culture of resilience in a multicultural environment especially when we're dealing with these potential conflicts or variabilities, these places where two goals could collide. Uh, Todd, let me bring this question uh, actually closer to people who you said are your listeners. If your listeners are about safety, if their work is about safety, it's very compelling to say, you know, wait a minute, but safety is safety is safety, you know, it's not negotiable. 
Um, and I think what's really important to understand is that safety is not negotiable, absolutely. Uh, how do you go about convincing people, for example, what is safe, what is not safe? How do you engage people in uh, practicing it? Um, how do you do it differently in a culture that strictly goes by the rules and everybody uh, is very comfortable with the idea versus the culture where uh, going around the rules is much more common and normative and habitual uh, for, for people. Uh, if you are driving, again, the same metaphor, is it the safest thing to drive with the speed limit or is it the safest way to drive with the speed of the uh, kind of the stream of cars? So safety is safety, but how do you go about it? in specific circumstances and in specific cultural context and with people, that's where, again, culturally mindful approach is so important. How do I get you to the ultimate goal of being safe workplace uh, in the way that makes sense for you, that you will uh, buy into it and that you will actually repeat the behaviors that I want you to habitually be, uh, repeat eventually. So what's the answer? That's the best question ever. What's the answer? Uh, the answer is uh, the understanding of cultural reality when you bring uh, your ideas uh, there and how we, we all understand translation of some, uh, you know, book into another language. Uh, but cultural translation is a much more uh, kind of complex and nuanced things that think that just translating the rules of safety and putting them on uh, on the wall, for example. So I, I have increased this cultural competency. How can we help organizations increase their cultural competency? Can, can I? So Sorry. I want to give so it smart one um, at a time. Though. We, don't, we can only handle so much brilliance at once. So Italian, Ant Antimo, would you like to go first and then Mary, you can follow. The Italian me wants to interrupt all the time because that's what a culturally appropriate is in Italy. Yes, I thought about the Italian in you when, the, when Tatiana brought up the driving example of following rules, but we can talk about that later as well. <laughs> uh, if you're interrupting in Italy, you are showing engagement. Funny right. enough. There you go. So, um, so to answer that question with an example is this. I was in Indonesia a few years back with a group um, and um, the Americans in the group noticed several times, as many of you can relate, uh, in Jakarta there is often uh, uh, scooters, uh, tiny uh, motorbikes and bikes with uh, often uh, at least three people and then you start seeing the four and the five people and the five people sometimes look like uh, father driving with a kid in between his legs, mothers in the back with a baby on her lap. And you and the Americans go, that would never happen in the US, that is absolutely dangerous. Now, my question to you would be, well, stop, try to take another perspective, which is part of what we should do to, to, to improve our cross-cultural communication, and then analyze that maybe with a different lens. If you were a father and a mother of those poor child uh, children that you see on the bike, would you put them at risk? No, of course you wouldn't. So that means perhaps that in the Indonesian culture, since you see that all over the place, not as an exception, 
it means that everybody has a huge heightened awareness of everybody else running around on a bike and in a car. Every single person and parent on those bikes is a super protective of their family and they want their safety. That's why it works. That's why you never see an accident of a family completely taken off and destroyed by a car or another bike. That's my example. That's Let me take that example ahead, and, and kind of put some words to it to help translate it. Um, when we talk about intercultural competence, one of the most important things is motivation, wanting to be able to understand the other and, and attitudes like curiosity and empathy. In Antimo's example, it's easy for someone from a different culture to say, what's wrong with them? How can they put their family in danger like that? But if we're trying to create a culture in an organization that values cultural differences, then what we want to do is encourage people to say, well, why is that happening? So kind of Antimo's example of, well, looking around and seeing other people, looking for patterns. So we have to have that kind of motivation and those attitudes that encourage people to see others as not wrong, but as doing something following a different set of rules. Then we can build on the knowledge. Maybe it's the cultural specific knowledge of the cultures we're interacting with. Maybe it's knowledge of a particular kind of context. So to go back to the driving metaphor again, um, what are the rules? How are, what are the norms in terms of what people are doing in a particular culture? So if I'm going to Ireland and I'm going to drive there, I'm going to Japan and going to drive there, what do I need to know? But even if I know people drive on a different side of the road than I'm used to, that doesn't mean I have the skills to interact effectively. So I have to build on the motivation and the attitudes. I have to develop the knowledge, but then I have to learn how to do these things. So how do we develop the skills to build a multicultural team? How do we develop skills that will keep the folks in our lab safe? Um, and that involves a lot more kind of uh, sophisticated kind of learning. But if we're not motivated to do that in the first place, then we're never going to realize that there are uh, differences that we can build our capacity, we can build our ability to work effectively with people from other cultures. If you had one piece of advice you could give to an organization, uh, a manager who's in charge of global safety, global reliability, what would that piece of advice be? I would say ask why before you ask what, um, how. Why are people doing things in a particular way? So, you, so you're really looking for context and motivation before you're looking at actual practice. Yes, but we, can't, we have to look at both, Yeah, right? no, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Um, my advice probably would be go slow to go fast. Mm -hmm. uh, it really uh, pays off when we uh, invest in learning and understanding and figuring things out and accounting for uh, cultural differences and cultural ways. Uh, so then we are much better informed in how to proceed the best uh, to the desirable goal in the specific cultural uh, environment. I'll be more specific, actually. If I am a leader of an organization and I recognize how important these things are that we're talking about, I would make a priority walking the talk. And, uh, and uh, I want uh, my 
people in the organization to see that uh, I am uh, uh, the first example. I'm setting the first example. If I'm a leader in an organization who knows uh, um, uh, how important it is to develop, to develop their people, I would also open the door to creating the space within the organization as, as well as allocating resources for them to go places to know more about uh, intercultural competence, about cross-cultural communication. Now, I don't want to sound like this is a little um, uh, advertising option, but um, uh, I would definitely encourage people this, part, uh, this particular upcoming March, uh, since we have our Winter Institute uh, for Intercultural Communication in Santa Fe, there is a variety of topics and uh, many speakers uh, and, and all of us actually on the uh, podcast will be there. I encourage them to check it out, to check the topics, and um, it's a great uh, idea to even send people there and start. There is a place to start, a place to continue the conversation, a, a place to dive even deeper on uh, maybe diversity initiatives, types of conversations, uh, conflict conversation, and more. So that's March of this year, March of 2019. It's the Winter Institute for Intercultural Communication. It's in Santa Fe, New Mexico. What are the dates on that? The dates, it starts on the 12th of March, and it goes through yeah, it goes through the 15th. There is an option of doing a three-day workshop or a one-day workshop. If you want to learn more, I encourage you to check the following uh, website and link. It's a little long, but it's intercultural.org forward slash program forward slash WIC. That is W-I-I-C. Let me repeat that. Intercultural.org forward slash program forward slash W-I-I-C. That's correct. Did I get it right? Yes. Man, you guys, what a great opportunity to talk to you. It's so nice to get to chat with old friends. It was such a delight. <laughs> Thank you so much, Todd. Man. Thank you, Todd, for bringing us together. <laughs> you can always come back on the podcast because you know you're pretty darn interesting people. So what do you think? It's pretty fun, wasn't it? I enjoyed it. I uh, <laughs> I always think it's kind of fun. It's a little bit of a riot. That's what I'll tell you. Um, those guys are great. Special thanks to Antimo, to Mary, and to Tatiana um, for spending time with us on the Pre-Accident Podcast. You're always welcome back. Please plan on coming back. We need you to come back because there's more stuff um, that I think you have to share with us. That's for sure. If you want to get more and you're fixated on this idea – that Winter Institute of Intercultural Communications in Santa Fe, they need people. In fact, uh, I don't think my class is going to make it. So that's how serious they are. If you want to come, the, that March 12th is wide open. You can find it on the Internet, intercultural.org, uh, and you know how to take it from there. Until then, my friends, that is the podcast for today. Uh, it's fun spending time with you. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. <laughs>